0: good to worship. You know, sometimes you need just to, to sing. You never have that? You just need to sing. just need to sing the word and praise. All the, this week and the challenges and the weather and changing around, um, sitting and reflecting, it's good just to sing. It's good to be together. It's good to know He is God, that we get to proclaim and we get to say and we get to sing and we get to shout uh, from the mountains. Uh, he is God. He is good. Uh, he is for us. Let's uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to um, be with each other, be with your people. In the middle of that, you put uh, words and music together we get to sing and we hear prayers and confessions. And Lord, you're trying to tune our hearts uh, to the gospel, to the truth, to the way that you have ordained and called life to go and to work and We've experienced so much, our own sin, but so much sin against us, so much brokenness and fallenness. And our heart's like a, a bad piano. We're, we're out of tune. We can't quite find it. And, and you come and bring us and realign and retune. And you do it through your word. And you do it through encouragement. You do it through all the pieces and parts of your service that our hearts would sing again, they would be in accord with you, and that we would praise you. Lord, I pray that would happen to us today. May that happen to us this evening, even now, as we hear your very word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to do like we did a couple weeks ago. We're not going to um, read the text. We'll read the text as we go through it on the back of your sheet. If you don't have as it's Galatians chapter 2. Um, if you have not gotten one, we still have a few of the little booklets in the back. It's basically the book of Galatians uh, with text on one side and a blank page on the other. Get one of those before they're gone. You can come and take notes each week. Um, so we'll, we'll do that uh, as we move through. We are beginning chapter 2 of Galatians. Uh, the famous speech went like this, Free at last, free at last, thank God almighty We're free at last. You know that famous words, the last words of a famous speech, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, after a Freedom March, Civil Rights March, 1963, in Washington, D.C. I wish I had his um, voice and his umption and and bravado that Dr. King had. It was freedom. He was uh, he was speaking about what he hoped to be true. Uh, which seemed about to be true for the African American experience, and so he was proclaiming freedom, freedom for the the Black American. The struggle has been ongoing, has been real, though uh, slavery was uh, ended officially, the Thirteenth Amendment, eighteen sixty five. Slavery was ended. It was not legal for you to own as as your possession, another human being, based on the color of their skin or any other reason. A hundred years later, he's giving this speech, thinking, well, shouldn't we have been free? We were free, declared legally, and yet African-American brothers and sisters were still in bondage and shackles in many ways um, by Jim Crow laws, by... Uh, Voter suppression um, by discrimination and racism throughout the South, but throughout the country. So what was true, they were free, right? And yet, they were enslaved. Legally free, that he was saying, at last, finally. So to say, emancipation, and actually to live in the liberty and the freedom of that are two different things. We can be free and not live free. Dr. King was speaking of physical, societal freedom, the same rights, equality for all. He was borrowing from an old Negro spiritual that used to be sung during slave times. And initially it spoke to freedom, but freedom in Christ. For the African American, the story was, one day we will be free, we will be with the Lord, we will be... Purely free, not just from the shackles and bonds, but we will be free from sin. We'll be free with Jesus. So Dr. King was borrowing that famous line, those lines from that word, free at last, from that song, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. Um, That's the connection, freedom. Paul's primary concern when he wrote Galatians was freedom. Freedom. Paul knew how important it was. He knew the price that it cost, that Jesus, uh, the Son of God, nothing less than the Son of God's death on a cross, would purchase the freedom that Paul was writing about. He also knew that it was easy or possible to squander the freedom and to live or to return to bondage. Though you're free, you can live unfree. Some of that's by choice. Some of it was by false teachers, as we'll see here. Those that would try to persuade free men to go back and live in bondage. In fact, in the South, that happened, right? The uh, 13th Amendment, African Americans were free. You couldn't be a a slave, and yet, because of the history, and there was no jobs and no education, many that were free still lived as slaves in bondage because they had no food, they had no... False teachers are saying, promoting in Galatia, go back to bondage. Paul will have none of it. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says this, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, freedom was the issue. Slavery was the threat—real threat—and the gospel was at stake. And Paul was going to fight for freedom. Let's look at the text. We'll see how it plays out in freedom. First, we'll see Paul's uh, Paul's trip, his trip for freedom. He went a freedom ride. To Jerusalem, it says in verse 1 and 2, Then after 14 years, Paul said, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Uh, The freedom riders, you know that term? The freedom riders were those in the 60s, that uh, boarded buses mostly in the north. Some of them started in D.C., and it would be a a mixture of black and white, and they rode buses down the interstate systems down to the south. Because in the south, it had been, uh, became illegal to, right, segregate. The buses had to be integrated, and yet that law, like many things, was not being enforced. And so the buses were still segregated, We're not allowed to integrate, so freedom riders came on a trip, a freedom trip down south to provoke the law, to show the freedom they had, and they faced much great opposition as they demonstrated that the law had passed and yet nothing had changed, and it got the federal government involved and brought more change, the freedom riders. Paul makes a freedom ride to Jerusalem. It it says... uh, it says he came 14 years later. Paul's uh, trips to Jerusalem are kind of confusing. So I'm going to give you a little understanding, hopefully. He took all four trips. The first one we talked about last week was three years after his conversion. Because remember, he said, remember, I didn't get this gospel from any man. You remember that I made that case? No man. I didn't go to Jerusalem and get the gospel from Peter and James and the boys. Nope. I got it directly from God. So it was three years, and then I was only there a short time. And then it says 14 years later, it's probably from conversion. So this is the second trip. He comes 14 years, and he'll take a third. We'll see that in Acts 15, the famous encounter, and then finally a fourth. So 14 years, Paul has finally come to Jerusalem, but this time he's come with a purpose. He's come with an agenda. It's not just to go to check it out. He has an agenda. He wants to meet with the influential leaders of the city because he wants to talk about freedom. The text says, "He sets before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. I'm going to set before them the gospel that I'm telling the Gentiles, and I want to make sure to collaborate. Is this the same gospel you're preaching? So now I'm here to see, are you right? You're on the same page? In order, he says that I may be sure that I'm not running in vain. Paul wants to give him a theology exam. Paul came to Jerusalem to say, "Let's talk theology. Let's let's get your test out, right? If you've gone through, if you've seen the ordination process, they ask you a lot of questions, or elders have gone through that and they give you all the theological, let's see where you line up. Paul goes down there with a mission to see, I'm preaching the gospel. I got it directly from the Lord. Are you preaching the same gospel? He goes there with that mission to check it out. Paul was not questioning his gospel. But he was questioning theirs. He did not need their authorization to preach the gospel because God gave it to him, but he did need their cooperation. Think about this. The key leaders, it says here uh, Peter, or Cephas, that's Peter, James, the half brother of Jesus, John, right, the beloved disciple. If they were in Jerusalem and Paul's out here in Asia Minor and in Europe and they're preaching a different gospel, there's a lot at stake. And so he comes to say, are we on the same page? Paul needs his ministry among the Gentiles. He needs cooperation with the leaders in Jerusalem for for unity, for fruitfulness, for success. This was important. And the question was, would the church in Jerusalem be courageous and embrace the freedom in Christ, the full gospel which said, it's not by the works of the law, it's not by becoming Jewish. It's not by adding anything, but it's only by grace. Would they embrace that? Or would the so-called Judaizers we talked about last week, those that had combined the Christian faith, Jesus plus Jewish tradition, would they sway the leaders in Jerusalem? That was the question. What would they do? So Paul makes a freedom ride, and he's not sure how it's going to go. Maybe he'll come down south like the freedom riders did and face opposition Second thing I want you to see is the ride for freedom. The second thing is the test case of freedom. What would compromise look like for Paul? What would it look like for Paul to get there and see they fail the theology exam of the gospel? What would turning back to slavery mean? What would be resisting the freedom they have? Enter Titus. Case study. Verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. I may not understand that at first, but it's important. Titus was the litmus test. Would the Jewish Christians really embrace a Gentile dog, those they hated, to be a full-fledged, card-carrying member of the Gospel Coalition? Right? Or, would they welcome him, but... You know, eye roll, <laughs> awkward style, awkward moment. There's the Gentile. Think about, I, I, it's hard for us to gra- grasp the scenario. You imagine the first segregated, first integrated school, you know. The first black student that walks into the all-white school. Um, maybe you've seen Remember the Titans, you've seen that movie, you know. Uh, and, and the schools are integrated and it's just Imagine the first to do that, and the stares, and the, the whispers, and the awkwardness. Um, Jews and Gentiles hated each other. And now, Paul brings a Gentile into the holy city of the Jews, the place where the sanctuary dwelt, right? That the, their people, this is Jewish country, and they brought pa- Paul, brought Timothy, an uncircumcised Gentile. Not a Gentile that saw the value of the Jewish law and became like them, but one uncircumcised that did not embrace the Jewish law, and he brought him in to be a full fledged brother. Would he get the cold shoulder? Would they be passive aggressive, you know, good southern style, you know? Oh, sure, you know, it's great. Smile, but really hate them in his heart, you know. He wasn't circumcised. Everyone knew that was the sign, the law of Moses, that you were right with God. You were God's chosen people. And now we're going to welcome this guy here, and he's on the team? What would they do? What would they do with Titus? Now, this seems far from our world, but it's very present. Is it grace alone to welcome brothers and sisters? Or is there something else involved? What are our litmus tests? Um, our spiritual disciplines? Our spiritual experiences? Oh, they haven't done that? Oh, really? Okay. The, 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 the books we read, the theology maybe, the, um, I don't know, certain practices, certain ways you dress, certain songs they sing. Certain things we do. There's all these ways, these markers. They're subtle. They're often not named that we differentiate. Maybe some traditions. It's a certain spiritual gift. If you don't have it, you're kind of a second-class Christian, right? Or certain views of this doctrine or that doctrine. If you don't hold to it just exactly the right, you get the oh, that, bless their heart. You know, that's great. It's great for them. We always have ways. The poor we'll speak about this in a few right those how do we view them is there a difference certain social issues right you can't really be a first class christian if you're not embedded and embrace this social issue there's a lot of ways we do it um, would they embrace what he preached or would they say it's uh yeah grace the jesus thing's awesome but it's got to be that plus this other marker not circumcision for us or the Jewish law, but what is it? I have a friend, uh, he's, a, he's a pastor in St. Louis, and I was an African-American, super gifted preacher. He was a pastor in Baltimore as a younger man. Um, it was a large church, predominantly white church, powerful, influential church. He was the associate pastor. Uh, at some point, I'm trying to if I get the details correct, but um, Thurman Williams is his name, and as the... the uh, The senior pastor made a transition. Uh, The the elders, they they wanted him to be the pastor, and he became the pastor of this church, predominantly white, influential, power church. Uh, And he noticed there was some tension with one of his friends, one of the elders. And uh, they got together, and it was awkward, and they kind of talked about it, and they talked about it. And finally, the the white brother, the elder, was honest with him. And Thurman tells it. He said, said, I told Thurman, my friend, he said, you know, I, I was okay with having a, a black uh, associate pastor. In fact, I, you know, that's kind of cool, right? We're, we're multi-ethnic. But the idea of having a black senior pastor, it just shifted in my mind. It's hard to embrace that. I, I, they're brothers. They're working together for the church on the same team. But he came to know and Thurman said it was so good to hear him confess and name what he really felt that he didn't know he felt. Because the color of his skin was still a litmus test. We're a prominent church in the community. We're we're influential. We're powerful people, and it might not be as powerful to the appearances if we had a black senior pastor. That's what Thurman said. A litmus test. Isn't that interesting? Um, Maybe that's not ours. Uh, What is our What's our litmus test? What makes us top tier Christians? Maybe it's, you know, we're better at this than some other denomination. And they're great, you know, they're brothers. But they're lesser, we do it. What would they do with Titus? Paul takes a freedom trip. Titus is the test case of freedom. Third, there's always, always enemies of freedom. We read it to begin with enemies of freedom. Verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might be brought again into slavery? Paul goes, he's gonna meet, he's gonna see if they're on the same page with freedom, but there's actually people brought in to try to lure them back to slavery. There's always enemies to freedom. Uh, Medgar Evers is one of my heroes. He is, uh, was a young man, he uh, was an African American man, he fought in World War II, he even fought in the Battle of Normandy. Uh, when, when Edgars came back, he came back to Mississippi, he was a bright man, and he applied to uh, University of Mississippi Law School, and he was qualified, he was, had the credentials, um, but he was denied entrance, right, some of you know his story, he was denied entrance on the color of his skin, this is after Brown versus Board of Education, 1954, right, their segregation is illegal, this is in the 1960s, and yet, he was denied, so he set it out to fight for freedom, and he became an active in civil rights and pursued justice until Wednesday, June 12, 1963, just hours after President John F. Kennedy gave his nationally televised civil rights address. Medgar Evers was coming home from an early meeting. He met with NAACP lawyers, and he pulled in his driveway. He got out of his car, and he was carrying a, a, a box full of T-shirts that said, Jim Crow must go, right? The Old South, segregation must be ended. And he was walking to his front door and a single bullet, went through his back and through his heart. And he staggered, maybe you've seen the movies, he staggered and fell at his doorstep to be greeted by his wife, as he was right there. He was a freedom fighter, but they were always the enemies of freedom. Racism was one of those. Byron Day LeBeckwith shot and killed him. He was acquitted twice in two trials. I'm not sure how that works. Twice in 1964 by an all white jury. It wasn't until he was in his 70s in 1994 that Byron Day LeBeckwith was convicted and spent the last seven years of his life in prison. There's always enemies to freedom. There's always those that will fight against it. Though legally free, he, he, he belonged in the law school, restricted, prevented. Paul says this, notice the language, false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so we might bring us into slavery. False brothers. They were brothers because they were claiming the Christian faith. They were claiming the Jesus part, but false because they added to Jesus. It was Jesus plus. Jesus plus badges. The first chapter of Galatians taught us about other Gospels, alternative Gospels. Here we see that they're additives to the Gospels. It's not just different Gospels. It's that we can't take anything and add to it to make it sweeter or better. It's Jesus alone. They had, uh, they were nationalists. It's Jesus plus our Jewishness, and yet they didn't serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who said it would be Christ and Christ alone. False brothers. Notice further what it says. It says they slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ. Isn't it interesting? Slipped in. I mean, this is like espionage. This is like some kind of, right? I mean, CIA covert operation. I hear Paul's coming. I wonder how much he's let the Gentiles in. Is he going to bring Titus? They're sneaking in to listen to, trying to, you know, they're they're tapping the phones, you know. What's going on? How? How? Free is the grace of God. Can it be free all the way to the dogs, the Gentiles? Certainly not. Let's listen in. Let's let's send some covert, undercover mission. The language is interesting. Would they let outsiders in? Why were they spying? They were spying to bring us back into slavery. Paul was experiencing freedom. He was preaching freedom to all, but these Jewish brothers... False brothers here want to lure. We'll see next week that they even lure Peter back. Back into slavery. Paul revisit this in chapter 5. He says 5. He says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Why did, why did Christ come? He set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're free. But you're tempted, and others are tempted to pull you back to slavery. Stand firm. Don't submit. There are enemies of freedom. Those are present. But there's also uh, enemies that we can't see, right? 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? Spiritual enemy Michael read that verse in Romans 8: "There's therefore now no condemnation." The spiritual enemy says, "Oh, there's condemnation." <laughs> Do you know what you've done? Do you know what you did last night. Do you know the guilt and the shame? These, these nice church people, they have no idea what's in your head, what's in your heart, what you've done, with your hands. They have no idea your behavior. the enemy. The freedom, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy of God. They try to strip it and draw us back into slavery. Paul says it's for freedom. Hold us. Would the enemies of freedom win? Would the gospel of free grace, would it go into captivity? What would be the conclusion? We've seen that freedom is the mission that That everything is at stake, Titus is the the case study, there's enemies, would the church be divided, one with Paul, one with Peter, what would happen? Fourth and finally, and good news, there's partnership, there's partnership and freedom. Look at, this is the the bulk of the text, I'm not going to read verse 10, we're going to do that next week says to them we did not yield in submission this is to the false brothers not even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and from those who seemed to be influential what they were makes no difference to me god shows no partiality god's not a racist he says those i say who seemed influential added nothing to me on the contrary when they saw that i had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised just as peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked through also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they should be circumcised. I love how Paul starts this. They're enemies of freedom. They pressed in. They were spying out. But Paul says in verse 5, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. I don't know what gets You get passionate about but Paul's passionate. He's a truth fighter. You know, I'm a sports guy, so it's uh, like, not like, like I look like I play sports, but like formally, I like to watch sports. And uh, one of the most engaging things is in, in football is, is a goal line stand, right? Am I know a goal line stand. It's the, the team gets the ball, and uh, the offense has gone, you know, say 99 yards, and they're on the one-yard line, first and goal. And the defense lines up, and you got this much grass, right? The, the, the nose of the football is almost on the white touchdown. You've got four downs to get half a yard. And the defense is like, they're not going to get it, right? The captain gets in the huddle and, like, they're not going to gain a single inch and get in the end zone, right? And this is rallying, this kind of rah-rah macho thing. They're not going to get it, right? First down, you stop them, and the field's short, and they try some trick. Second down, you stop them, and third down, and it's fourth and inches, right? And the captain's like, I don't care what happens. They're not going to get that half a yard, right? And you get the big, ugly lineman, and they just dive in there, and the linebackers jump over, and you stop them, right? And it's that moment. That's what Paul says right here. Not even for a moment are we going to give an inch because this is not some secondary doctrine. This is not something down the road. This is the truth of the gospel of grace. Is it grace or not? If it's one inch more, it's not grace. It's a grace. He didn't yield, he said, in submission, but it gets better even further. Look what it says. This is, this is a model case the apostles, how they engage, as a model for ministry. The key leaders, Peter, James, and John, the Jewish leaders in the city of the Jews, Jerusalem, the ones who had been close with Jesus, Jesus' half-brother, Peter, John, the beloved, here meet Paul. They're, they're the pillars, and they saw Paul. You imagine the showdown. It's like the two best you know, athletes, the two biggest dudes. They walk in the room. It's like eye-to-eye, you know, some kind of Western thing. What are they going to do? Paul says, when they perceived the grace that had been given to me by Christ Jesus, when they perceived it, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. They didn't even make Titus, the Gentile, they didn't even make him be circumcised. They accepted him in full terms, not second class, second rate apostle, but co-laborer, and they shook his hand. Not as a not just as fellowship, but as partnership. That we are in the gospel together, comrades in the gospel. The partnership is not in Jew and Gentile. It's not in Jerusalem or Asia. It's not black and white. It's, not, it's in Jesus. It's in his death and resurrection. It's in his body. The freedom comes in that. And that's the partnership we have in Christ. It had been purchased by Jesus how dare we not rejoice and celebrate the diversity of the body? So long, the, the, here's the Listen to us, Listen, here's the point. So long as we get the gospel right, we can partner. We can be as broad and diverse as we want in ministry and mission. Let's get the gospel right. Let's make sure we're on the same page. Let's do the theology exam. We're on the same page. It's Jesus alone. Okay, let's go for it. Go get them, right? Some in our church are, uh, work with college students. Go for it. Some work with internationals, go for it. Some work with medical people. Some, uh, you know, work, with, oh, we have missionaries from our church, Tyler and Amy Jones are in Laos, Southeast Asia, go for it. Uh, you know, Kim Garrett led Victory Health and more of a mercy ministry to underinsured. go for it, go get them, right? Some of you are, in, are nurses and teachers and, and, and business owners and, and, and doctors and, and stay-at-home moms and dads and CPA, go for it. We're all in this partnership. Have a big kingdom part. Let's get the gospel right and be very narrow. We're exclusive. It's Jesus only. We can't add to that. We got, we got one message. That's it. It's only one we got. One exclusion. It's Jesus. After that, let's be as broad and wide and partner, connect. No strife, denomination, so much tribalism, so much bickering over little things. Let's get the gospel. Let's be on the page and let's be broad and big. I, I promise you, the civil rights leaders didn't care what color you were, didn't care, even your religious background didn't care. Uh, education, they cared if you were for this cause of equality, right? For us, we're for this cause of gospel. And if we get that, then we can be broad and diverse and celebrate the mission. We can partner with it. With it. Will freedom reign? Will it reign? Will it be free at last, or will we go back to slavery? I, I want us to be rigid, to be dogmatic, to be, you know, stick in the mud, like we're committed to the gospel. We're going to hold the line. It's it's fourth and one on the one yard line. We're not moving. But at the same time, you know, I want us to be unrelenting. I want us to be stubborn as a church about the, the grace, the open arms of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus didn't just die for Presbyterians, right? The, the mission around the world's not to our little stripe and type. It's for all those who celebrate what Paul traveled down to Jerusalem to do. He went for freedom. He got there. Let's see what they do when Titus walks in. <laughs> this will shock them. Titus walked in the room right? People spying out, sending messages, trying to derail. And the key leaders said, this is, there is one gospel and it's in the blood of Jesus. And they shook hands and they symbolized that the gospel would go forward. And the church had been planted. And 2,000 years later, we're a small group, right? Trying to find our way, trying to find a, tr- a building, trying to find all we're doing. Are we committed to the gospel and are we committed to the kingdom being broad and big for Midtown and for the city? That's what we're about. Will you embrace the freedom? Or will you go back to slavery? Will we be small in our vision? Will we add rules and requirements? Will we look down on other lesser Christians as if there's such a thing? Or will we be about Jesus and His gospel? I pray we're about that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. It's challenging, it's convicting, it brings life and hope and goodness. I pray we would be rigid about you, (laughs) that there is one way to salvation. There is one truth. It's through Jesus. And yet we would be also rigid about the love and the grace and the partnerships. Though Those we say, let's lock arms. Let's do ministry. Let's reach the lost. Let's Let's reach those that struggle, that are poor and needy, just like us. Let's be what Luther said, beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. Make us that type of church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.